Thank you for listening to this selection from bradhambrick.com. Brad serves as pastor of counseling at the Summit Church in Durham, North Carolina, and is excited to produce resources that equip believers and resource churches to care well for one another in their community. We pray that this serves you well, and we hope that you'll consider utilizing other resources from bradhambrick.com for your personal growth and ministry endeavors. And so that brings us uh, to step five, uh, which is to confess to those who are affected uh, and seek to make amends. Uh, and here, uh, this, is, this is really one of the pivotal parts. Uh, and those opening statements uh, to this section, uh, again, I think they capture so much of what recovery is about. Uh, the idea, you will only be as free as you are honest, Privacy kills change and fuels sin. Transparency kills sin and fuels change. That is so much about what we're doing. Now, we could take that and say, okay, I'm not sure everything that I need to be honest about and to whom do I need to be honest and I'm not sure how honest I'm being with myself. And that's where the structure uh, and some of the detail of material like this uh, is hopefully beneficial to us. Uh, But that is simply structure and detail. The big picture uh, is being honest with ourselves and others uh, about what we're going through. Uh, Ed Welch, he says, as a rule of thumb, when in doubt, it is wiser to err on the side of speaking more openly. Let's involve more people. Let's not struggle alone. As we think about confession, uh, I would encourage you to think of confession as serving two functions. Uh, One function is it acknowledges the wrong that we've done. Um, It seeks uh, forgiveness and to make amends. Uh, A second function is that it invites people to become a more informed part of your support network. Uh, Until we're honest with people, they don't know when or how to help. Uh, De Clementi again, he says, an environment... Uh, that supports change can be a wonderful asset to the individual struggling to maintain change. Understanding uh, employers, reinforcing and supportive spouses, inspiring sponsors, caring family, accepting peers can help the person leave the past behind and create a new alternative life pattern. These reinforcing effects support and consolidate change. Unfortunately, The damage done during the time of engaging in the addictive behavior and the prior pattern of relapsing and recycling may be compromised, uh, may have compromised the supportive environment available to many people at the maintenance phase. Uh, So again, confession is what invites people into our life. Uh, Confession is the door to community. Uh, The door through which we must pass if we do not want to live alone in the dark. Uh, with our addiction. Uh, now there's a section here uh, that are uh, common excuses that we don't want to reach out for help. Uh, hopefully at this stage in your journey, uh, you're not as off-put by the word uh, excuses. But when there's something that we know that would be a helpful to do and we give reasons for not doing it that don't validate not doing it, uh, we need to say, okay, that's an excuse. Uh, and you can look through those. But we ask, how would we effectively let someone into our struggle? You know, what would that look like? 
I think that merits some attention. A little bit of guidance. Um, begin with those that you trust most. Who are the people uh, that you know love you? That you know they would be there? And, and if I were just honest with them, the, the response would be one of relief and enthusiasm. Now when you think about that, uh, don't dwell on their anticipated reaction. Um, if I can say it this way, in addiction, we are not optimists about things that are healthy. When we're in the throes of addiction, we're pretty sure if it's unhealthy, it's going to work great. If you give us a healthy, wise thing to do, we're pretty sure that's not going to work. And so let's not dwell on what the anticipated reaction is going to be. Dispositionally, we're just not in a spot where we're going to be very accurate with that. Be honest, simple, and concise. Start with a simple, truthful statement. You come to the friend and you say, I want you to know, I have been struggling with addiction. I am beginning to seek for help. You are somebody that I trust. I can, can I tell you what I'm struggling with and seek to make right anything uh, that I've done to harm you? Just a few simple short sentences. Uh, disclose where you're at at this point in time. Uh, disclosure does not mean promises. We're not saying I'm there yet. What step are we on? Five. How many steps are there? Nine. Okay, we're, we're midway. We're not making promises at this point. We're simply saying, I'm struggling. I'm struggling forward. I'm struggling actively. Uh, I'm not passively hiding my struggle. Yeah. Give your friend a quality resource. If, if you're like, I don't, I don't think they're going to know what to say. Uh, this would be a great way where you say, hey, I'm studying through this resource and there's a packet that goes along with it. Uh, I've got a support group that I'm with, but, but I would, if, if you're willing, I would love to go through this with you too. And it just becomes a part of reinforcing some of those earlier steps. Uh, don't rely on just one person. When you only invite one person into that support network, then your support network doesn't have a support network and you're placing all of your weight on one person, and when they crumble, you're going to get frustrated with them. And so by having a group like G4 and then going to individuals and more in some social spheres of your life, you are creating a support network for your support network when you do that. Be patient with yourself. Just because this is right doesn't mean it's easy. You're showing a lot of strength and courage. And you should be encouraged by that. There is a lot of work that has been done to get to this point. And just because you haven't gotten there yet, whatever we mean by that, whatever we think it should feel like, doesn't mean we haven't come a long way. And that there is not a lot uh, to be encouraged about. Now what are some of the elements of confession. What should be going on in these conversations? Um, some key elements here. One, uh, address everyone involved. Uh, unless to do so would create harm in their world. Kind of one of your AA principles that uh, I want to make amends unless seeking to do so would do greater damage in the other person's world. We'll come back to that uh, in just a moment. But we are at this stage, we're rooting out addiction. 
And wherever addiction has had negative consequences in our social realm, we are going through and saying, I am in the process of becoming a different person. Yes, the things that seemed off, they were. Here's why. Uh, Avoid words like if, but, or maybe. Those are just classic blame-shifting and minimizing phrases. That's why when we get to actually what this confessional conversation is going to look like, uh, we give you another one of those guides to begin to write it out. uh, Because our instincts haven't been instincts of ownership. They've been instincts of blame-shifting and instincts of minimizing. And, And if we're not careful, we'll just fall back on our instincts. And so we want, uh, we're not scripting it out as if we have to be eloquent. Um, But we are learning to speak about our struggle with other people in ways that are healthy and helpful. Uh, Admit specifically, uh, one of our goals in confessing is to make forgiveness easier for the person who is forgiving. Now, forgiveness is never easy in the same way that recovery is never easy. But when somebody comes to you with a generic repentance, how much confidence do you have that things are going to be different? Not much. And so you feel like you need to press in, that you need to clarify. And and if we're still at that spot where it's easy for us to get defensive, when we are specific is part of us telling our own story well and accurately. And it gives the other person a greater degree of assurance that we really are owning and taking into account the things that were going wrong. So that when they see where we're at in our recovery, it is easier for them to forgive because they feel like they are coming alongside of something healthy and good and they are adding to the momentum of that And they're not giving cheap grace to something that isn't really addressing the total problem. Yet, apologize or acknowledge the hurt. Our sin has dominoes. When we do something, it just doesn't have the direct effect uh, that that given interaction or lack of interaction had. It has a lot of effects on people. We looked at some of that in step two. Uh, we should take some time to consider how our actions have impacted the other person and put that into words. Part of addiction is addiction is incredibly self-centered. When, when I'm in the throes of addiction, I am thinking about my pleasure and my relief. And whatever it is that, that works for me is what drives my world. This aspect of confession, when I begin to think about how my actions affected you, is me beginning to discipline myself in a more other-minded, loving my neighbor as myself kind of way. Accept the consequences. Uh, This is where uh, confession is not a plea bargain. It, and so here's where you might say something like, because I see my need to change, uh, I will no longer carry cash so that it will be more difficult for me to hide if I fail. 
You know, when you carry cash, you don't have to get a receipt. You can, it, it, there's no tracing how you got your substance of choice. And so if you say, look, I can tell one of the consequences is I just don't need to carry cash. Um, because I see my need for change, I will be transparent about my schedule uh, and not be defensive about that. Or uh, I will forego, maybe it's an activity or a group or a particular friendship because I see how that's contributed to it. I don't make the other person enforce that on me. Because consequences, they can either be disciplinary or trust building. If I am resistant to the kind of changes that would need to happen in order for my repentance to bear the fruit of a changed life, then consequences are punitive. They are trying to open eyes that are forced shut. They are trying to pry open a hand that won't play open. But when I accept those consequences freely, then those consequences that are really just tracing back those steps of foolishness back to the realm of wisdom, they're trust building. They show you my sincerity. They show you my reasonableness. They show you that there is an additional level of safety uh, in our relationship than, than would be present if I was still resistant to those things. Uh, actually alter your behavior. We'll come to that more in step six of what the pragmatics of what that would look like. Uh, ask for forgiveness and allow time. Yet, part of what you need to recognize is that Forgiveness is a journey for the people that you have hurt and offended in the same way that recovery is a journey for you. This is hard for them. Um, yet, they, they loved you. They trusted you. There were things where uh, they didn't understand what was going on. They may have made sense of this in their own world in ways uh, that were unhelpful. And so, you know, when we say allow time, um, it usually doesn't take this long, but here's my rule of thumb. When it comes to their forgiveness, allow at least as much time as it took you to come to the point to acknowledge your need for recovery. Don't expect them to forgive your sin faster than it took you to acknowledge it. In whatever our uh, area that we sin against another person, that's my general rule of thumb. Uh, that we can't just say, I was wrong, and if they don't immediately forgive, then go, oh, God's on my team. He's against you. Uh, I think it is gracious and avoids being hypocritical when we allow as much time for somebody to forgive uh, as it took us to come to uh, repentance. Now, when it comes to preparing for a conversation... Uh, I give you a guide for that. Because uh, again, this has not been our native tongue. Uh, it, it is not our instinctual heart language to speak in terms of ownership and impact on another person. Uh, and so we want to do that well. Because uh, a bad confession where we slip into blame shifting and minimizing and then somebody brings it to our attention, uh, that can become a really shaky place where we begin to go, oh, this wasn't worth it, I knew I shouldn't do it. And it becomes one of those temptations back into relapse. And so we want to go into that conversation prepared. 
It may be weird to think of it this way, but that's really what the entire book of Philemon is. It is a prepared confession where one person was coming to be restored to another and the circumstances around it was going to make it dicey enough that they needed to script it out a little bit. Um, Now, uh, another part uh, that is uh, frequently a part of uh, addiction in 12 steps is, is making amends. Uh, step eight, ask us to make amends, make a list of persons whom we have harmed uh, and became willing to make amends, uh, amends to them, uh, except when to do so would injure them or others. Um, now, the purpose of making amends is restorative, not cathartic. It's about restoring relationship. It's not about feeling better. Yet, and that's why John Baker would say, our secrets uh, have isolated from others long enough. They have prevented intimacy and closeness in our relationships. In five words, here's the secret to making successful amends. Don't expect anything back. Uh, you're making amends, not for a reward, but for freedom. And so again, my, my actions have hurt you. They may have hurt you directly. They may have brought confusion into your world. Whatever it is in that given relationship, I I am looking to offset that to whatever degree that I can. Not to earn forgiveness. We took care of that in step four. Too often, we try to have confession carry the weight of repentance. Confession will never replace repentance. We were relieved of the burden and the weight of our sin in step four when we took care of that before God. We are just looking to be made right and restore as much unity as we can through making amends. Now, there's several different kinds of making amends. Uh, There can be direct amends. This is when uh, the offense and its effect were very tangible and measurable. So that may be paying back money that you stole or repairing property that you damaged. Uh, There can be narrative amends. Uh, This is where the damage is more in the form of mistrust or confusion. Yet, that may be explaining and making right the way that you slandered another person. Uh, Yet, it may be clarifying damage to the relationship uh, that you pushed off on the other person You blame-shifted. They took ownership for that, and they've been carrying false guilt. And you come back and you tell that story rightly so that they don't carry that false guilt anymore. Uh, Living amends. Uh, These are the things that can only be relieved over time. And so maybe that's committing to authenticity uh, with a family member or a friend uh, so that trust can begin to be restored. Or handling your anger differently. And you begin to say, I know when I have been in the midst of this, I have frequently lashed out to you and I am recognizing uh, that impulse control and the way that I handle my temper is not something that I'm good at. And I am acknowledging that to you. And at the appropriate stage in my recovery, uh, learning to control my temper will become a significant part of what I work on. Um, Symbolic amends. Uh, This is for those highly inaccessible um, parts of where we may have done damage. Maybe it was a drinking and driving accident where someone was killed uh, and you find a way to serve in 
uh, in a way that addresses that issue in our culture. It, or it may be parents who died before you came to the point of sobriety and you're looking for a way to communicate that to them through a, a letter. Um, now, another point, and I've said this before and I will say it again, when you get to this stage in your journey, you need to have a support network with you. Uh, it, it may be in the course of this that just not because it was wise, but because it happens, you begin to drift away from your group or from that support network. When you begin to do this stage of your recovery, you need to get those people back close to you. You need your support network to know what steps that you're taking because these are emotionally weighty steps. And when you are going to go into a more emotionally tumultuous season, and you know it, you need to get in the habit of gathering more support around you and not going into those seasons cavalierly. 